Today is from the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its minister according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden through the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and strive with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your orderly conduct in the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you all here this morning. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And just in between services, um, I'm really happy to let you know that we voted to call Pastor Drew Williams uh, as the next head pastor of our congregation. Uh, so that, was, that call will be uh, given to him this week. Um, he has already told us that he will accept that call, and we look forward to having him here. So I'm very happy to say that I am one of the pastors here at New Life, and we look forward to uh, having Pastor Drew here, and I'm ex very excited for you all to meet him. Today, we're continuing a teaching series in Colossians, and so at this time, I invite you to grab the Pew Bible. If you don't have your own Bible with you, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab that and open it up. And uh, if you don't have your own personal Bible, please take the Bible that is in your hands right now home with you. That's why we have them. And we have lots and lots more. So if you don't have your own personal Bible, you can take that with you. And uh, we'll uh, talk through the scriptures. We're going through this series in Colossians. And what we're doing here is we're doing something a little bit different from what we normally do. We're just taking a kind of in-depth, verse-by-verse look through Colossians. My encouragement to you is throughout the week to read Colossians as many times as you can. Uh, Colossians takes about 15 minutes to read. And so really you could read it three, four, five, six, seven times a week uh, as we head into the following weeks and we continue to explore and open up this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Last week we started off looking at the first 24 verses of Colossians and we zeroed in real hard on verses 9 through 14. So in your pew Bibles, you can probably see uh, chapter 1 here. I think it's page 155 in the New Testament, if you haven't found it already. Uh, but Colossians in the New Testament, it's right toward the end. So if you see my Bible, there's all this stuff that comes before it. And then here's Colossians and what follows it. And so we start off chapter 1 with this greeting that Paul gives. This is a very typical greeting for letters. So we know who, write, who wrote this. It was Paul and Timothy. We know who it was to, to the saints, that is the church in Colossae. And then we dive into uh, this kind of opening monologue. I guess the whole thing's a monologue because it's a letter. But it's this opening greeting of Paul. And he's talking about 
the church there. He says he doesn't know them. This guy named Epaphras started them, and Paul probably trained Epaphras and got him going there in Colossae. So he knows of them. He knows all the good things. He gets reports all the time. And we zeroed in on verses 9 through 14 because that gives us uh, the purpose of why he wrote this letter. And so I just want to look at that real fast just to remind us of that. So chapter 1, verse 9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So one of the purposes that he's writing this and that he's praying to God for is that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So that's the first thing that he's, first reason he's writing. So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So there's kind of two main reasons he's writing this. One is that the Colossians may know God's will, which up to this point that hasn't been revealed exactly how Paul's defining that, but that we might know God's will, the Colossians might know God's will, and two, that they may bear fruit. So we just need to keep that in the back of our minds. If you have your own Bible with you or if you're gonna take the Pew Bible home, this is a good place to underline Underline verses 9 and 10, and maybe put a little star beside it. You can see in my Bible, I have it highlighted and notes and all sorts of stuff in there. That's to remind myself of the importance of those two verses. We also zeroed in on verses 13 and 14, which as we read through and as we're going to read through Colossians later, we'll see is a really important verse or a couple of verses for us. And it says this in verse 13 at the end of that paragraph, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what we don't know yet, but what we will know later, is that this is a very quick definition of the gospel for Paul. This is kind of the whole gospel written in two, in one sentence. That he has rescued us, the language that I used last time was that he has picked us up or plucked us out of the power of darkness, which that word means authority or rule. So you can kind of think of it as like a competing kingdom. He has plucked us out of this place where the devil has authority, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We talked a lot about that, that phrase, beloved son, last week, that this was the phrase that God said to Jesus at his baptism. And as we read through Colossians, we're going to see baptism come up again and again and again and again, and in many ways, Colossians is a baptismal book. So there are kind of three main things from this first set of verses that we need to keep in the back of our minds as we read through Colossians. Now, I reminded you guys that uh, last week that the Bible's meant to be read over and over and over and over and over again. Like, that's how it's designed, is to be read over a lifetime many, many times. So the first time you read through Colossians, if you don't have a commentary or any other sort of Bible study helps, you may not realize that that's the main point of Colossians. You may breeze right over 9 and 10 and 13 and 14. You may not even think about it. But after you read it the 20th, 21st, 22nd time, you'll begin to start catching what's going on here. You'll begin to catch how God, or how, yeah, how the Holy Spirit is weaving through Paul's hand this message together. And so what I want you to do, since I'm your pastor and part of my role here is to help us look at Scripture and study it together, 
I'm kind of giving you the cheat codes right now, all right? I'm letting you know what's important so as you read through Colossians, you'll see it again and again. So there are three things here that Paul wants us to do, wants us to know. To know God's will, to be fruitful in love, that's verse 9 and 10, and that God has placed us into a new kingdom, and it has something to do with baptism. Those are the three things. Know God's will, bear fruit in love, and that God has placed us in a new kingdom that has something to do with baptism. Now, what we didn't do last week was read closely into the rest of verses 15 through 23. Uh, we're not going to do that today. Verses 15 through 20 is this great hymn about the work of Christ. It's some really good theology. And then 22, or 21, excuse me, through 23 is some more purpose what Paul's wanting. He wants to present them blameless and holy and right, that they've been reconciled with God. He kind of reminds them of a couple of things like that. So it's, uh, he kind of goes into more detail about uh, what God's will is. But we're going to jump into verse 24, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 5. Now, in your pew Bibles, you are probably looking at this, and you can see that verse 24, there's a little heading right above verse 24. In mine, it says Paul's interest in the Colossians. The Pew Bibles, I think, is probably the same. Does it say that, Paul's interest in the Colossians? This is, uh, this is a moment where the translators, uh, these headings are not original to the text. The chapter numbers and verse num numbers are not original to the text. These original letters are just wall-to-wall -wall Greek. Like, there's no punctuation. Ancient Greek had no punctuation. They had no headings. Really, you had to divide it by thought. As you read it out loud, you would just know the rhythms of these things, and really they were quite good at listening and reading literature this way. Uh, but here our translators have given us a nice thing, where they've given us this nice little break. So we know this is another section, and we, all, we know this is a se another section, because in verse 21 through 23, Paul's talking about the Colossians being estranged and hostile to God, and that God has brought them close, and that he is... Uh, given them all these good things. And then he says in verse 24, I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. So Paul's tone here changes. He stops talking about what God has done and now is talking about himself. It's getting, getting personal again, where he's sharing some of his own life with them. Not in great detail, it would be nice if we had even better detail about exactly what he meant, but he says, now I am rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. So that change in tone, that change in wording, the, the change in thought, what I like to do is I like to just take a pencil or a pen and just put a little line across the page and a little arrow down the side that I know that this is a new section that we're heading into. And you probably won't be able to see it, but you'll, if you can, it's right here. I just put a little, little line with an arrow going down that, to remind myself, hey, this is a new section, a new train of thought. And specifically, he's talking about himself and his own work for their sake. And we read this verse 24, and he says, I'm now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase, that he's completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So as you're reading through the scriptures, sometimes phrases like this will catch your attention. What is he saying here? Is he saying that what Christ did wasn't complete, wasn't 
full wasn't finished. That seems a little strange. And so what I like to do is I like to either highlight those verses, put a little star next to them, or in my case, I actually just have the word lacking circled. And it reminds me to come back and look at that later as I'm reading through. Uh, right now, we're not gonna finish the, the section. We're actually just gonna stop and park right here just for a little bit to talk about what do we do when we run into a phrase or a word or some idea in scripture that is strange or disturbing or we just don't know what to do with. There's a couple things that we do. One is we let it set, make a note, keep reading through to see if maybe Paul explains what he means later by lacking. Unfortunately, this is not one of those times. As we read through, you, we don't, he doesn't explain what he means by that. So that's kind of a bummer, right? That we don't have that, uh, that little clue in the text itself. So that requires us to take some time to, I, to do a couple of things. One is, and I hope that you'll become comfortable enough to do uh, some of your own study on this, but we can look at like a Bible dictionary or we can look at a concordance. And what a concordance is, is that it is a, it is a big book. Now it's nice that we have them online too, that gives you every single word that is said in scripture and every single verse that word occurs. It's really a fantastic tool. Now there are lots of apps that do this. Um, there's the YouVersion Bible app that has concordances. There's Logos Bible that has some things like this, some tools like this. And so you can begin to do some investigation on this word. What does it mean to be lacking? And as you hunt and investigate, or you can ask a pastor or ask somebody who knows a lot about scripture, and they may be able to give you some clues. In this case, uh, unfortunately, this is just one of those really difficult times, one of those really difficult words that we run into every once in a while, not super often, that there's, you hunt down the meaning, and it really doesn't help it make much more sense. So lacking in the Greek, I looked it up in the original language, lacking in the Greek means lacking. It means not finished. And so you think, now that's weird. Okay, so maybe Paul is saying that Jesus's suffering wasn't complete. And so then you have to hunt around the rest of scripture. You have to think through the story of scripture and think through uh, other places where Paul might have said something like this and this is the only place Paul ever says anything like this, and there are lots of places, including in Colossians, where Paul talks about Christ's work being finished and full and complete. And so this is one of those times where we have lots of moments, lots of times in the New Testament, where Jesus and the apostles talk about the work of Jesus being full and complete. And here's one time that it seems in our translation to disagree with that. Now we know that there are no disagreements in scripture, right? We don't go there. So we simply have to submit and have to understand that maybe this doesn't mean exactly what we think it means. And it requires some deeper investigation. Now there are gonna be times where we just come to a phrase just because of the fact that this was written 2,000 years ago. It was written in Greek that's 2,000 years old. There are some times where we just have to say, I don't really know what it means. And scholars don't really know what it means. This is one of those times. We can rest assured that this point in scripture that seems unclear does not overthrow the points in scripture that are very clear about the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this can't mean that Jesus' work is not finished or is incomplete. My best guess, as you look at this word in the original language, it kind of implies that there's a container that's being filled up. 
It's kind of this, this language of being filled up. Um, and so what the, my best guess is, is that Paul is looking at his own suffering and he's seeing that it's the same kind of suffering or the same container as Jesus' suffering. And so Paul's suffering is not different from Jesus's, but is actually part of Jesus' suffering. And as we read through Colossians, we see that Paul talks a lot about living in Christ and having Christ be in you, that there's some sort of unity that happens as we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, that we participate in Christ's very life, and that our suffering is Christ's suffering, and that Christ's suffering is our suffering. We get to participate in it. Because Jesus knows what it means to suffer. Not only did he die on the cross for our sins, a perfect sacrifice, but he was betrayed, he was neglected, he was misunderstood. He went about, he was an itinerant preacher, so he traveled and he relied on the goodwill of others to have food and shelter. So Jesus knows what it means to suffer, not just on the cross, but throughout his life. His life was hard. He had to work hard and he had to rely on others, and I think that's what Paul is getting at here. That suffering is this container that we get to actually continue on and fill up the suffering of Jesus. That it's the same kind of suffering, the same kind of life. This is a challenging verse, and at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of clarity on exactly what this means. That's my best bet. So when we come to a difficult passage, you highlight, you circle, you make your notes, and then you begin the work of investigation. You seek out people who are very uh, far along in understanding of Scripture. You look at the Bible dictionaries, the concordances, all the tools that we have. You look at the original language if you feel comfortable, and you just do your best to guess what it means in a way that makes sense with the rest of Scripture. Okay? So that's what we do when we get to a difficult passage. But I actually just want to keep, I want to keep plowing this ground of uh, Colossians 1, 24 through 25. And verse 25, Paul continues, I became its servant, that is the servant of the gospel, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make God fully known. Now remember our three points. Paul wants us to know God's will. He wants us to bear fruit in love and that God has placed us in a new kingdom that has something to do with baptism. And here Paul says, I've become a servant so that he may make the word of God fully known. Our radar should go off here. Paul's talking about knowledge. He's talking about understanding God's will. So we need to have our little radar up, a little radar dish going here. We, maybe he's gonna dive in a little bit more into how do we know God's will and what exactly is that is. And he continues, the mystery, all right? This is so far so good, right? Lots of talk about knowledge and mystery, not knowing, knowing, that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints, that's the church, that's you guys. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, or knowledge language, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the will of God, knowing the will of God means apparently knowing Jesus. And Paul's gonna continue this idea. And for Paul, knowing God's will all has to do about Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything. He's the fulfillment of everything. This is the great mystery that has been given to the church. 
is the person of Jesus Christ. That we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we know the truth of Jesus Christ, that we know what he has done for us and that we live in his life. This is Christ in you and this is also the hope of glory. Okay, so now we can add some details. We know that it's gonna be, we know this letter is gonna be about God's will and now we know that God's will is Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin, to participate in the life of Jesus. And we continue on here. into uh, He's continuing on his, the talk of his own work. It is he, that is Jesus, whom we, that is the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the teachers, proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. So now we're changing subjects again a little bit, that there are these individuals who teach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and they do it with all teaching, with all wisdom, um, in order that everyone might be mature, okay? And as we move forward, we're gonna see he gives off some other uh, things that he wants to do. So we're gonna move right into chapter two, verse one. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and those in Laodicea, that's the area of Colossae, and for all who have not seen me face to face. We, he said earlier that he actually hadn't met the Colossian church. It says this, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they uh, may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the unity or have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. End of this section. So as he finishes off this section, he we go back to verse 28, so flip the page back and we'll look at verse 28. He, uh, excuse me guys, sorry about that. Going the wrong way, here we go, back to verse 28. All right, here we go. So it is this Jesus that he proclaims in all wisdom so that he may present everyone as mature in Christ. So if there's a list of things in the scripture, what I like to do is I like to highlight and number. So I highlight mature in Christ. He wants everyone to be mature in Christ and I put a little one next to it. And as he continues on, for I toil, uh, this doesn't, he's not really explaining anything more about what he wants. He's just kind of tying it back to his own life and his own struggles. Verse one, for I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea. Then he says in verse two, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. That's another purpose that he has. So what I do is I underline or highlight and I put a number two next to this so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. So the assured understanding, that's number three. I highlighted and put a little number three. He wants us to have assurance of understanding. He continues on in verse three, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse four, I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible Arguments For though I am not with you in the body, and he continues on and finishes the section. Number four is this, that you may not be deceived. So I highlight it, and I put a number four. Whenever there's a list of things, I always highlight and number them. So again, just to help me remember and refresh 
what's going on here. So he's saying very plainly that the purpose of Paul's struggle, the purpose of his work, the purpose of his suffering is four things. One, that the believers, the saints, may have maturity. Two, that they may be encouraged and united in love. Three, that they may have the riches of assured understanding. And four, that they may not be deceived. Again, these are things that we can kind of put in our pocket. And as we continue to read through Colossians, we see these things pop back up again and again and again. There's uh, something going on in the church in Colossians that we'll read about later, that there are these Judaizers who are insisting that in order to be a Christian, you have to first be a Jew. They're insisting on ritual and uh, ritual purity and kosher laws and some of those kind of things, at least it seems. And so he talks about that later. That's these plausible arguments. He talks about being rooted deeply in Christ. That's assured understanding. He talks about being built up in Christ later. That's maturity. And he talks about bearing fruit again and again. That's being encouraged and united in love. So again, here we are. Here are some four more things that we just need to mark and put in our back pocket. As we read through the rest of Colossians, we want to have these antenna up. And we get to the end of our section. Now, as we read through this section, uh, this is more introduction material. Can you believe that? Four chapters of the book of Colossians, and the whole first chapter and five verses of the second chapter are all introduction. Beginning next week, we get into the meat, the meat of this letter. And so there are some times that we read a section of Scripture, and there's no command. There's nothing really that we're called to do, compelled to do. Sometimes we get to the end of a passage of Scripture, we think, okay, that's good information. Thank you, Paul, or thank you, Moses, or thank you, whoever wrote this. I don't really know what to do with this. And so in moments like this, I like to just take a step back, and this is when we get to do some uh, application. This is where we get to do some meditation on this passage. Because we know that you and I are not Paul. We're not apostles. Uh, most of us in this room are not missionaries to foreign people, but Paul was. He traveled around the Mediterranean, and he sailed in a boat. He was shipwrecked three times. He was thrown in prison for the gospel again. A little unique, a little particular to Paul's life. You and I are not going to experience those kinds of things, but I think there are still some things we can gain from looking at Paul's life and seeing how God worked in his life and learning from that. So I want you guys to flip back to verse 24. We're going to look at it one more time. We're going to go to verse 20, 28, sorry. No, 24, I was right. 24. He says this, I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. When we first read this, it's easy to just go right over it, but this is really important for Paul. Suffering was part and parcel of his life. I outlined very briefly some issues that he had in his life but he had a thorn in the flesh, something that he asked God to take from him, and God said no. He was shipwrecked three times, thrown in prison, beaten, stoned, flogged, and was eventually martyred for the faith. Paul knows what it means to suffer, and he saw his suffering as part of Jesus' suffering. And so then that makes us think, okay, if Paul suffers this way, I wonder if I suffer the same way. And also, why does Paul rejoice in suffering? We can see here that Paul rejoices because he sees that this is actually a way that he is united in Jesus. 
that he himself is brought up into Christ, that he is made mature in Christ, and also more importantly, that others may also be mature and united and have assured understanding and not be deceived. He saw his own suffering as this work that God was doing for not only his own benefit, but the benefit of others. He had a good enough understanding of God's work in Jesus Christ. He had a good enough understanding of the mystery of Jesus Christ to see his suffering this way and to live for the good and maturity of himself and others. Because God calls us to be whole, mature, healthy, transformed people. And suffering is a way that this happens. It's a way that it happened with Paul, and we can expect it as a way to happen to us. It's easy for us to get trapped in this idea of suffering as just this horrible thing that we just have to get through, and God always wants to make us better, but he doesn't. We can be pretty sure from the scriptures that God is not the author of misfortune, but he definitely uses misfortune to make us more mature and to make others more mature as well. God calls us to be whole, mature, healthy, and transformed people, and more often than not, that happens through suffering. And I've been a pastor long enough. Um, One of my greatest joys is walking with people through uh, sickness and suffering and even death. It's really, honestly, one of the greatest honors of my life to walk through people as they go through this suffering and to uh, preach the gospel to them and support them um, and to uh, help them become mature in that. And you can tell pretty quick who's mature and who's not once they're suffering. Because sometimes people who suffer or if they have a hard life, they're prone to grumpiness and bitterness and a quick temper. And these are signs of not being mature. Paul rejoices in his suffering. He rejoices in it. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And we know that God will use this suffering to actually create those things in us, to give us fruit. See, suffering is not a punishment, but it's an opportunity for us to participate in Jesus' own suffering, to get to fill up that container of suffering that Jesus experienced. Suffering is a way that we participate in Jesus's life. We feel the pangs of betrayal and loss just like he did. And this is part of the way that we are made mature. And I like to say it this way. There's a, a famous writer, Christian writer, and he was a pastor for a long time. He's now passed, named Eugene Peterson. And he would say often, with God, everything fits. God doesn't let anything go to waste in our life. He uses everything, including and maybe especially suffering, to help us grow in faith and help us grow in maturity. And I've benefited a lot from watching mature, whole, transformed people in Jesus suffer because I get to see them cling to Jesus and cling to their faith. I get to see them have peace and joy and kindness and patience, even in hard things. It's made me a better person. It's made me a better Christian. It's given an example for me to walk as I experience my own suffering. I have benefited 
as a young man watching others suffer. That's exactly what Paul says here. I rejoice in my suffering because I get to participate in Christ and fill up the container, and I do this so that you may be mature. We actually get to benefit from suffering ourselves and seeing others suffer because with God, everything fits. And it's actually a part of living a full life, an eternal life, that we suffer. And so even in life when we have suffering, we know for sure, we can have this assured understanding that Christ is at work, that Christ is in the middle of it, and that it's making us mature and complete. It's making us whole and giving us assurance. It's giving us love that we may not be deceived, deceived by the temptation to go to the right or to the left. So in this passage, this passage does not tell us that flatly. That comes from reading through the scriptures, praying through them, listening to the Spirit, and we begin to have this web of understanding that we can see Paul's life, we can see his dedication, we can see what he wants, and we know that we ourselves can experience similar things, that the Lord is good, that his steadfast love endures forever. And we get to participate in this mystery that is Christ himself. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, I'm so grateful uh, for your gifts to us. Um, and Lord, even your gifts of suffering. And uh, Lord, it is difficult uh, when we're in the midst of it to see it that way. Uh, Lord, it is only by your power, only by your spirit, only by your might that we uh, might be able to receive maturity and experience that maturity. It is only by your goodness that we have these things. So Lord, I pray that you would bless your word that you would do what you have promised in Isaiah, that your word would not return void, but it would do exactly what it intends. Uh, so Lord, as we look at this passage, that really doesn't seem to have a lot of like practical, how do we live as Christians, Lord? I pray that your word would do exactly what it intends. Uh, that the reason you inspired and gave these words to Paul, uh, that that would transform us, and that would help us be deeply rooted in Christ, and that we would be built up, and we would bear fruit in love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, I lift up to you at this time um, the leaders, the civic leaders um, of our uh, state and country and communities, Lord, uh, for President Joe Biden, for Governor Pritzker, uh, for our state representatives and senators, uh, for our local uh, authorities, Lord. We ask that you would bless them, that you would give them um, justice, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they may lead well and lead justly. Um, Lord, we pray for our teachers as they return and prepare for the students this week and next. And I ask you, Lord, that you would bless um, our kids as they uh, begin to prepare for school and get back into the swing of this late summer and fall uh, schedules. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. Lord, we thank you for our church leadership. Pray for our staff, that you would continue to give them your Holy Spirit. And we pray for our leadership team um, and that you would bless them with wisdom. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the call team as you have gathered them together to uh, sift through all those and to pray through um, all those who, all the candidates, Lord, that you brought to us. Uh, we thank you for Pastor Drew. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that this congregation has called him today, and uh, we look forward to him joining our family here soon. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Lord, for all those who are sick and afflicted with various things, we ask for your help. 
You are the great physician, and it is through your hand that we are healed. We thank you, Lord, for the miracle of healing. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the miracle that you have uh, worked through your creation to bring us healing through medicines and through doctors and nurses and physicians and assistants and administrators and everything in between, Lord. We thank you for them. For all those who are sick on our prayer list, for all those who are in need in our prayer list, Lord, ask that you would uh, use your medical servants to heal them. Lord, for those families who are suffering the loss of loved ones, um, we ask, Lord, that you would help them grieve well, uh, that this suffering would not be wasted, Lord, but would be for their good and maturity. Um, Lord, that we can celebrate uh, the promises that you've given us for eternal life and that we can cling to those promises for ourselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy.